Welcome to another episode of Axel Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. We are standing on the cusp of the E3 that will never end. I'm very excited and already very tired. And special guest. Uh, I'm Katie McCarthy, senior editor at US Gamer, and I am also uh, exhausted awaiting this never-ending E3 summer. Yes, it begins. Uh, the E3 summer properly kicks off next week, and along with the new event for Read Pop, it's called Game Horizon. It starts on Wednesday, June 3rd, and just in time for the big PS5 event. And I guess this is also where I get to announce that Axe of the Bluff God is doing a live show on Friday, June 5th, in which we talk about the PS5 event and we go through all of the RPGs that we know about heading into the next generation. You'll be able to watch us on our YouTube channel, US Gamer Net. Eric Van Allen will be uh, leading the stream, but I, I, I will be hosting the actual podcast and everything. You'll be able to download as usual, but you should, you should join us. Presumably, I'll be sitting in the background grinning. <laughs> uh, it should be, I believe, 11 a.m., pacific that would be 2 p.m eastern and yeah it's gonna be really great there's gonna be so much game horizon coverage and i cannot wait to get started meanwhile uh katie we have you here because we're going to be talking about the xenoplay chronicles definitive edition review which you have over on the website uh you spent like 80 hours on it that's really impressive yeah so like the math of it, so it was like 70, 71 or 72 hours for the main campaign, the main story, and then 12 hours on the epilogue. So it's like 80, like a little over 80, all said and done, uh, over two weeks, which I wow. do not I do not recommend doing if you are picking up Xenoblade Chronicles uh, for Switch. Uh, do not, ma- don't, don't binge it in like two weeks like, no it's really not a, a, a the kind not, of game that you binge no exactly like i feel like i would have been like like i really enjoyed it but i think i would have enjoyed it like way 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 more if i just you know took my time like with persona 5 we but, call it the final fantasy 7 remake uh syndrome around here oh yeah, yeah i mean you're... i i kind of binge i didn't like super binge that but i did finish in like a week <laughs> So I, like, I I feel sorry for anyone who had to binge Final Fantasy VII Remake because I really enjoyed it I as did a it thing. For fun. I yeah, know. I just enjoyed it as a game I can enjoy in pieces. But mm. uh, if I had to binge those hallways, I'd probably kill someone. Cyberpunk is going to be a tough one to binge. Oh <laughs> God, have fun with that. Oh man, that's true. That's true. All right. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the underscore Capot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and Katie is at YouMayKatie. That's Y-U-M-E-C-A-T-Y. And also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review over on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. We always enjoy seeing the kind words of our listeners. My DMs are open over on Twitter, so if you want to send a letter, you can send it over there or leave a comment on our show notes. Sometimes we read these for the mailbag we we usually include comments for the readers from the blood god disciples we all enjoy always enjoy seeing that and nadia we have a newsletter that comes out every single wednesday what is this week's newsletter about well i am actually really deep into heaven's word which is the expansion what first expansion for final fantasy 14 it's a really really good story i'm really enjoying it and it, it has like 
kind of the fantasy tropes like you know scandals bastard children blah 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 the you know the, the kind of the darker stuff that you get into sometimes with fantasy and i've been thinking about how how rare it is for fantasy to these days to just kind of you know be dark and be adult but not be silly about it like i find that uh game of thrones i just couldn't get into it cause it's just too violent it's too uh you know just too gory and i feel like it's kind of disappointing that people feel like that's what fantasy has to be whereas you know final fantasy 14 and other good jrpgs like it they have those themes but they're not they're not shoved down your throat and like thrust right into your eyes so to speak because hey look how grown up we are look how gritty and adult we are I mean, a fantasy can be gritty and realistic, but it can also just kind of, you know, let you sample those themes in in sips instead of, like, forcing it down your throat. And I think that Final Fantasy XIV does that really well as opposed to some of the more mainstream fantasy fare that uh, we have today, Um, even though I think everyone has fallen out of love with Game of Thrones anyway. So maybe my whole point is moot. Game of Thrones? (laughs) What's that? Exactly. <laughs> it never Isn't happened. it crazy that finale happened over a year ago at this point? It feels, like, it feels so long ago. It right? feels like a like, millennia ago. The thing is that finale happened and everybody immediately dis- forgot about Game of Thrones. It just vanished from the discourse. Everybody just decided all at once that they weren't going to talk about this anymore. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, you know, fantasy doesn't have to be like that. Fantasy can be, it doesn't have to be so stupid let's put it that way i mean it's not it's not george or martin's fault obviously that that ending was a disaster and it wasn't his fault i would contend that that's more of an hbo thing than a fantasy thing Uh, i'm actually watching true blood right now which is just that's constant very very violent and lots of sex and lots of sex yes (laughs) sex is sex is fine just you know maybe not like forced me to watch people getting their bones broken every two seconds oh there's some really gross stuff in true blood especially yeah, come in on, season people. two true blood was, yeah that's why i I'm watched not... that when it aired and it was really fun like i remember it being oh, yeah. a fun show just really ridiculous over the top really campy oh yeah uh, it the definitely camp goes off so the, it goes off the rails toward the end but it's i still found it like really entertaining it might just be my problem because i had a lot of i've had a lot of procedures in my life and i just don't feel do good mm. with blood that's uh, fair. Lord of the Rings wasn't that bloody. No, I did well with Lord. Lord of the Rings was fine in terms of violence level. Like you, you got some kind of uh, darker moments, like what they did with Gollum there. But uh, it was it was okay. I think those movies are like PG thirteen too. Yeah, so it was like, about PG thirteen. They're not like pushing the boundaries like every HBO show. You, know? you get one F word. That's it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Game of Thrones introduced the concept of sex position. <laughs> yeah all right let's talk about some rpg news nadia uh first item of business man you really broke my heart today when i found out that xenogears 2 was killed by final fantasy uh, spirits within one of the many things that was killed by that extremely bad movie yeah apparently um Weekly Famitsu, the June 4th edition, had an interview with uh, the president of Monolith Soft, who revealed a little bit of, of juicy information about how he uh, wanted to, like, he fell in love with Xenogears, and he really wanted to do a sequel. And uh, there were, like, kind of, like, those initial plans, but everything just fell right to the wayside very quickly, because uh, basically the Spirits Within was sucking up all the air in the room, and I imagine... 
Square Enix was at the time Squaresoft was just kind of throwing so much money and, and time and effort into this movie that everyone ended up hating that uh, you know a project like Xenogears 2 just would immediately fall off their radar so that was one of the reasons Monolith Soft was created because uh, they wanted to continue on with the, the Xeno series and they wanted to do it on their own terms kind of make Xenoblade make Xenogears 2 happen in some regard and uh, yeah, so I guess out of the spirits within, for all the disaster it wrought upon the world, it did in- indirectly give us Monolith Soft, so hooray, I suppose. And we would not be having this particular podcast if not for Monolith Soft, so maybe Final Fantasy <laughs> Spirits Within did some good in this world, huh? You know, I've never seen it. I hear, I've seen like critic criticisms of it, and it looks really terrible. <laughs> I've never, I've only seen Advent Children, I've not seen Spirits Within either. I'm curious about it. One when day, I, I don't think it's streaming anywhere, so who knows when I look up the the summary for Spirits Within and look up and, and have watched Advent Children, there's a lot of like correlation there. There's a lot of, of shared story going on, like the whole uh, spirits that touch people and, and leave them diseased, and because it sounds a lot like uh, Geostigma, I think it was called in 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 uh, Advent Children. But yeah, overall, it was a it was such a bomb, a historic bomb. I saw Final Fantasy Spirits Within in theaters, probably on oh, opening no. weekend. Were you the only one in the theater? <laughs> oh no, there were people there, if I recall correctly. I don't I don't remember it very well. I remember it being kind of boring. And yeah, yeah. I was able to discern Final Fantasy themes in Spirits Within, especially toward the end. A lot of a lot of the oh the planet's dying cloud kind of situation. <laughs> <laughs> the planet's dying cloud. And if I recall correctly, the main villain looked a lot like Cipher or Cipher. And also, I think it had something akin to like the live stream or similar themes. To yeah, that. It, I know it did have something quite like the live stream. Uh, there were definitely some Final Fantasy VII influences in there. Just it's a shame they didn't go a little more. These days they would go a little crazier like they did with Detective Pikachu. Like, here's Pokemon. You don't like it? Too bad. Here's a Pokemon world. Everyone who wants to be a get in can get right in. But back then, I think they were trying to kind of compromise more, make movies for standard audiences and video game fans. And most of the time, it failed for both sides. Yes, I walked out of that movie theater going, well, they should have made a sequel to Final Fantasy VII in film form instead. And then the monkey paw curled down. (laughs) Cat's famous monkey paw lost another finger that day. All right, moving onward. Speaking of Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy Spirits Within famously pushed Hironobu Sakaguchi out of Square Enix, changed Final Fantasy probably for the worse. Uh, And Sakaguchi made some really cool games, including The Last Story, which we talked about in an episode a few episodes back about the failed RPGs we want to come back. Uh, And also he made a mobile game called Terra Battle. I remember being at the formal unveiling of Terra Battle, in which he had a sizzle reel where it seemingly he got together with his friends and said, here's a beer, hold up your beer and say, yeah, Terra Battle. Oh. <laughs> and they all said, oh, Terra Battle, I guess. Yeah, sure, uh, Sakaguchi-san. But uh, yeah, Terra Battle never really got my attention. I think we're all kind of hoping that he makes a freaking game for console already. Yeah, um... He is making a game that is closer to what he was like, what he's originally done. It's called uh, Fantasian. Fantasian, and it's interesting because he's 
making the backgrounds out of dioramas and filming them and putting his characters in those. And that's a very unusual stylistic choice, but either way, it is going on Apple Arcade, which means no microtransactions, no gotcha, no nonsense like that. It's just a straight-up RPG. Might be a return to form for Sakaguchi. It's just a matter of, okay, well, it's on Apple Arcade. Will it come to consoles? Because it's very much a 50-50 thing. Square, uh, sorry, Apple could say, no, this is a big game. We want it for ourselves. It's exclusive. But there are also some pretty big games that made the jump from Apple Arcade to consoles, like uh, Sinar Wild Hearts, Shantae is a good one that just came out on consoles. It has been on Apple Arcade for a long time. So it is very possible, like, we will get a timed exclusive with Fantasian. Might be a timed exclusive, but after that we might see it on consoles, so we might not. But that would be one hell of a roundabout way to get Sakaguchi back on consoles. Correct me if I'm wrong, Katie, but it seems like a lot of Apple Arcade games make their way to console pretty quickly. Yeah, it's kind of like a bunch of timed exclusive deals, Like, but there's also some games that I think were so directly funded, like Grindstone, that I don't see making the jump. But like at launch, like What the Golf was on Apple Arcade, and I think it came to PC like a few weeks later. And Sayonara Wild, Wild Hearts is always multi-platform from the start. Like It just happened to be exclusive to Apple Arcade on mobile. So it's like it's. I think it just depends on the licensing deal and the how these deals are shaking out. For the Sakaguchi thing, it feels like so much that Apple is super funding it, like directly. Mm. Like they've done like all these behind the scenes videos, like Nadia's mentioning with the diorama thing. Like there's like a nice little video showing that off, and it feels very much almost like a first party Apple type of thing. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It's, it's curious. I'm curious to see if it does leave Apple Arcade. I'm curious to see what the game looks like in general because we have not actually seen the game itself yet. Um, we've just seen Sakaguchi like talking about it. Yeah, we've seen uh, like very brief clips of the game, and he's mostly been talking yeah. about it. Yeah, so it's. I'm interested to see uh, if it does. If it is this sort of game that like eventually it comes to other things, but maybe maybe it I feel be, like I he know. stopped Terra Battle because he's putting all his efforts into Fantasian. Uh, He's, they said in the farewell notice, basically, um, we can't really dedicate our time to make this game the quality it deserves to be at. So we're just kind of abandoning it. I suppose they're sticking with Terra Battle 2, which is a huge flop outside of Japan, but it's still active in Japan. So there's probably a small fan base there that they're just still working with, but it could be an all-hands-on-deck moment for Fantasian. Uh, it's a little yeah. bit of a shame, because I actually did like Terra Battle. I was part of the Canadian soft launch, so I remember playing it like when it was very, very new, and I enjoyed it, but when I tried to go back to it, I realized just how how like engineered it is to get you to spend money because it's so mm-hmm. hard to win if you don't have the really good characters. And of course, if you want those, well, you need to draw them. I mean, it's probably just a matter of like the player base has just dwindled, and there's like financially, it's just not smart to support it like any yeah, longer. There, like I that think too. it's I think that's probably like the main point of it. Like if they're still supporting Terra Battle Two in Japan and it's still making them money. Of course, they're going to be supporting it as long. It's like, like, I interviewed the Warzone developers recently, and their whole thing is like, we'll keep supporting this game as long as it's popular. I think that's really what it comes down to for a lot of these service games is if it's popular and people are playing it and spending money on it, why wouldn't the developers continue to support it? Yeah, I agree. And I can't really tell you how many people were playing Terra Battle at the end. I looked it up, didn't really find anything, but there, uh, there was a point where there were 2 million downloads. And, but that's not the same as, like, 
players who play every day. So it, it's mm-hmm. probably had a very small, dedicated fan base that came and went or left completely. So as you say, it probably wasn't worth the effort to keep the game alive, especially when there's other big projects in the pipeline that Sakaguchi probably needs help with. Staying on the Square Enix tip, I, I guess technically Sakaguchi isn't with Square Enix, but whatever. Uh, so here's an interesting thing. With Anime Expo, some The World Ends With You artwork emerged, prompting speculation about a sequel. And Katie, if I recall correctly, you're a fan of The World Ends With You. Would you want a sequel? I mean, sure. The Switch port was not great because the control scheme was like pretty whack and i don't know it's weird because the epilogue the new epilogue ends on a cliffhanger of course so there's plenty of room for them to do more and make a sequel i'm just curious how like what shape it would be like how different it would be from the original ds version and the awful p like ios and (laughs) switch ports so yeah but, I mean, the art style and, like, setting and story, like, everything about that game is so good that I would be open to a sequel. But I also just feel like it's it's fine as a, its own little thing. Um, yeah. So I'm not, like, I'm not, like, clamoring for a sequel. And also, like, the fan, the fan art, or the, not fan art, the, um, like, brochure thing is so weird because it features, like, an anime expo mascot on yeah. it. Yeah. It's very strange. Uh, so I'm I'm wondering if there's gonna be more art that they're releasing with like other prop like IPs like, and then here's the mascot with this weird anime and this video game. Yeah, and it's I'm, like I'm Anime Expo is such a weird choice to reveal if there is more. The world ends with you information. That's a weird place to reveal it. The game is anime that. as hell though. Yeah, <laughs> I true. I don't think it's that weird. Like Anime Expo has done game reveals in the past. Oh okay. I, didn't I know think that. when I went. I want to say three, four, three or four years ago, it was all like Persona 5 branding on the badges and everything. Oh, that's pretty cool. I would like to be there. I've never uh, been I th- to I think Expo, it was just Otakon. Maybe it was Fanime. I don't know. One of the anime expos I went to had like Persona 5 branding over everything. So I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's like out of character for them to do a reveal there because games have been revealed there by like Bandai Namco and other companies in the past. So um, with this digital... V- of, like anime expo event they're doing um once they like announce the schedule for that um i wouldn't be surprised to see a bunch of game names on there for companies revealing stuff okay that's all the news for the moment let's continue on to our review of xenoblade chronicles definitive edition don't go away Alright, Katie, you reviewed Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. I think you gave it a 4 out of 5 in your review. Uh, Your review was broadly very positive from what I was able to read. Uh, Like we already said, you put like 80 hours into it. You really delved into the epilogue. What was it kind of like returning to this RPG 10 years later? Yeah, it was weird. uh, Because back when I originally played this, I was like 
freshman in college, I think. It was on this horrible CRT TV that I lugged from my, like, house, because it was the only TV I had for many, many years. Uh, And it was just my PS3 and my Wii (laughs) plugged in this awful CRT TV. So I did not even play on, like, an optimal television setting. And I never finished it. I I thought I had only played, like, 10 hours. And then as I was playing this again, like, it was pretty familiar for a long time, so I played probably closer to 40 hours. But there's also systems in that game I just apparently did not engage at all with, like this gem system. I did not, I did not craft any gems when I back when I played. I back forgot then. about that. Holy crap! Yeah, there's like so. Yeah, it's been weird because Xenoblade's like a very like trying to describe all its systems and how to even play it is just sounds like madness. <laughs> but one, but after playing like a bit of Xenoblade Chronicles two years ago. Man, this game is so much smoother. Like, it's so much simpler compared to that, and just so much better because of it. Like, the party's actually memorable. The story's actually good. Like, the world design is still great. Like, I think that's the one thing is that Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is also great at is like amazing, like atmospheric and world design. Mm -hmm. But Xenoblade Chronicles 1 is just like so much more simple in its execution and is just so much more impactful because of it. And yeah, like, uh, people still like quote. The characters like dumb battle lines like it's Ryan time is like so iconic. It's <laughs> great. No, it's Ryan when he's time. like, cr- and when he's like crafting gems, he'll say like, absolutely mint, and it's just it's really it's so silly. <laughs> I love that uh, voice acting in that game. I don't care. I never go to so Jap- great. The Japanese voice acting. Anyone who does the Japanese voice acting in the Xenoblade Chronicles series is a coward. I'll say that right here and right now. <laughs> I agree. Like I think the the dub is like so above average compared to others and it's not just because very british it's like it's just i don't know the voice acting is just like really great across the board like the english team is like really brings those characters to life um and i i i considered toggling to the japanese just to see what it was like but i i got so attached to the english voice acting that i just stuck with it I think the Xenoblade Chronicles voice acting in English is on par with like camp classics like Star Fox 64 and Valkyrie Profile. No, play, totally agree. If you're gonna play, you're, you, you if you're gonna play, you gotta play it in English. It's part of the appeal. It really is. Like, I think once I tried to switch back to Japanese voices, uh, same with Xenoblade Chronicles too, and I just was like, no, this isn't right. It, I have to have Ryan time. <laughs> I've been playing Dragon Quest XI in Japanese, and it doesn't feel right to go over to English, Even, but there's another part of me that's kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm getting kind of sick of the Japanese. I almost am considering going over to English. No, I love the, I love the English voice acting in uh, in Dragon Quest. It's it's really well done, especially like uh, Rab and Silvando. So Katie, you talk a little... Katie, you talk a little bit about the quality of life improvements with Xenogears or Xenoblade. I'm going to just keep flipping back <laughs> I know. and forth between them. <laughs> I've, I've done that so much. When when Katie was editing my thing about Xenoblade the other day, she messages me and says, uh, did you mean Xenogears? Because at one point it said Xenoblade. And I said, yes. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the quality of life improvements with the, the port? It's... Honestly, it's so much. Like it, it's kind of crazy because I, as I was playing it, it it didn't feel that different in a weird way. And then when I was like going back to like look at the original version, and I never played the 3DS version, but God, the 3DS version looked awful. Oh, that was it looked so, so bad. bad. It looked so bad, and it's so funny that that was the big. This is only playable on the new 3DS because it looks like garbage. <laughs> it truly. <laughs> Like, looks unplayable. I don't know how anyone played that on 3DS, but anyway. I like, did. I, played ta- I tried. I, 
I played Tales of the Abyss on 3DS and it did not look that bad. They did they did a better job, like whoever reported Tales of the Abyss to 3DS did a better job with that than whoever did Xenoblade with Wii or Wii to 3D. Anyway, um, yeah, the quality of life improvements are pretty like substantial. Um, beside like immediately the big thing you notice is oh the UI is way different. Um, the UI in the original game was very big, like took up most of the screen. Uh, it had like this brown like, color palette to it, like, the game itself is, like, pretty beige, uh, and the new UI is very much closer to what Xenoblade Chronicles 2 UI, UI is like, so there's, like, less personality and less character to it, which is kind of a bummer, but it's also way more legible. It's way more easy to, like, tell what's going on. There's these new exclamation mark things, so when, kind of, I, I think Pokemon Sword and Shield introduces where when a, like, po- like, a enemy is like weak to something or susceptible to an attack it will like have like market like hey you should use this this is like recommended for this but i don't remember like how specifically it did that um but xenoblade has a similar thing where there's like an exclamation mark now that will like appear next to your arts which is like your moves on the bottom of the screen that you select through and that's like so easy just knowing okay I can use, like, topple because this, like, enemy is suffering from break, which is, like, a status of, like, That is very handy. So it's so useful, and it makes battles, one, it's, like, way easier to track what's going on, and two, like, when you're doing a chain attack, so, like, a chain attack is when you fill up your whole party gauge, and you can do this big chain move, kind of like an all-out attack from Persona a little bit, uh, where each character, you can choose the move for each character in your party to, like, do a lot of damage in one go basically um and so that was great because i would have a party it's like okay this person's gonna do a break move this person's gonna do a topple this person's gonna do the move that's strong against enemies that are toppled because there's just so many status things going on mm-hmm. uh and yeah it's just like battle so battles in that sense were just way easier to get a handle on and just know what's going on um and then also side quests are way, way, way better um, because they complete when you're done with them. Um, you don't have to go all the way back to the quest giver anymore. Uh, oh, I thought that I thought that was in the original too. Was that? I, I think so. It was. I, remember, yeah. I remember liking that a lot. Because I, I feel like two didn't have that. Two didn't have that, which okay. made me mad. But some. It's a weird thing to take out. It really was, but a lot of the quests in the original Xenoblade are more fetch-based, whereas they're more story-based in 2, so I understand why they did that. There's not as much, like, grinding, or, like, like going to a place to, like, fight enemies type of grinding. Like, it's more, because it's so much, and it's also easier to track side quests because they just appear as, like, markers on your map now. So, like, if you're running around an area and you have, like, a quest that's like, oh, you have to kill this amount of monster or something, they will show up on your map as, like, an exclamation mark and you can just go and fight those monsters specifically. So you're getting XP1 for doing those battles, but also for completing that specific side quest. Um, and there's there's just, like, all sorts of, like, little, like, simple but, like, effective changes quality of life-wise um, that have just made it, like, a much more streamlined experience it's it's a lot more enjoyable because you're not like banging your head against like figuring out how to manage your inventory because it's just a lot more mm-hmm. like smoother to navigate now uh and it's just yeah it's like a lot of small changes that are very effective in making xenoblade like a much better game i heard that when i most of the discourse i've seen has been complaining about the side quests yeah this i mean the side quests are still the same like they didn't i mean it's still just fetch quests but honestly like they're so mindless that it's more like 
when I'm on my way to a main quest, I would just do the markers on the way. So it's like yeah, they were I'm good running. For that. Yeah, I'm running this objective. I'm gonna go run around this cave on my way there because I need to get like this item and I need to fight these monsters. And it it wasn't so much as me. I'm just gonna go and do a bunch of side quests. It was more just they were padding out my journey from A to B when it came to like going from story beat to story beat. So they didn't bug me in that sense. It did like in the later game, I did have to grind a little bit. So I was kind of annoying of having the, but I just did like a bunch of Colony 6 fetch quests, which were, so Colony 6 is a locale that's kind of like just like one big long fetch quest. Uh, yeah, that's the town that you rebuild, right? Yeah, you rebuild it and you do like little things, you have to get items. So I would just do that, but I'd also do other side quests around that. Um, and it didn't bother me that much. It was more just like, I just kind of tuned out and did that until I was an appropriate level to keep going in the main story. <laughs> part of me is like, well, Xenoblade Chronicles came out 10 years ago, so whatever. But another part of me is when a game starts getting into grinding and fetch quests, my brain shuts down and I go, well, this game is clearly wasting my time, so I'm not going to want to play it at all. And it doesn't sound like Xenoblade Chronicles is that bad when it comes to it it's not that bad no getting to yeah it's sorry getting the reward is like right away is that is like katie said like you're you you would you're going somewhere on the map so you just kind of take a bunch of quests on the way and they're instantly done as soon as you collect whatever so you get that experience right away as long as it's optional yeah it's it's super optional like you could feasibly just do the main stories but like there are there is like some soft gating, but it's not like you can always just do it. You're just going to have some trouble. But another thing is you can, I think you can toggle to the casual mode, which is an easier difficulty at any time. Um, there's also an expert mode, which I, I haven't actually played around with that at all. So I don't know. Oh, you should have done your whole review in expert mode, Katie. Yeah, that's what Come I should on. have done. Damn it. Get uh, good. Yeah. And then that would have taken me like 200 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, probably not that long, but yeah, there's, uh, you could probably just mainline it. And I feel like the story's pretty compelling still. Like the story holds up really well and the characters hold up really well. Yeah. Like I, I think Xenoblade Chronicles by and large, uh, holds up. So I've heard that the, the, so they add this new content, this epilogue where you are exploring Bionis' shoulder and whatnot. And it's wrapping up a a story beat that was kind of left hanging in the original version i've also heard this new content isn't very good i wouldn't say it's bad it's just like fine it's okay so like the title of it right is called future connected so going into it everyone thought this is gonna really tie into xenoblade chronicles 2 or like set it up or whatever and it doesn't (laughs) do that at all it's it's really just cleaning up melia's uh like dangling thread which wasn't even like that unresolved in the first place it was definitely like an open like unresolved thing but it wasn't like by the end of xenoblade chronicles i'm not like well what happened to alchemoth what happened to all the rest of the hyantia (laughs) you know like i wasn't like dying to know because it just seemed like oh they're somewhere you know they're they'll they'll figure it out they'll figure Uh, out they're they're big kids they'll figure it out yeah exactly uh and yeah, this kind of resolves that uh, seemingly uh, a little bit. Shulk's just there for the ride. He doesn't really have a, a big <laughs> purpose. Uh, yeah, it, it's really just like I was recently on a Game Explained video. I don't know if it, when that will go up, but 
we talked about this epilogue and how it really is kind of like Bionis leg two. Like it really is like visually very similar to the Bionis leg locale from the base Xenoblade, which is like the first gigantic lo- location you really explore. Uh, except now it's like a little more intricate in its design. Like it's a little more interesting to navigate. Uh, but And it is all just one big area. Like there's not any sub areas really. Uh, it's, it's weird. It's a weird expansion because it's, or not expansion, epilogue because it's completely standalone. So you don't have any of the gear you've gotten. You have none of the, like, goods you've attained over the course of your hard-earned hours over the base game. Uh, skill trees are gone. Affinity charts are gone. There's no chain attacks. There's no Shulk's, like, future sight thing. Ability. Which is useless. I never like. I never used it much. Really? I feel like I used it so much. So like I, how I saw using that was, it gave me like a little more control over my party, right? Because like, mm. really, you have your leader. I was always Shulk or Amelia. Like they're like because their AI is useless. So if I had a party <laughs> with one of those two, they were the, always the leader. And yeah, like I, I when that would prompt to go up i would go up to like riki and be like okay you're gonna heal everyone so that this move doesn't kill us or it's like okay like you're gonna do this move so you can topple this enemy because i'm inflicting break right now like i i would really use that because it helps really avoid those big attacks yeah so so i was was a little bit stupid so when i when i do the (laughs) remake i'll probably go back to it yeah i i found those moves like pretty useful but also they're not necessary like you could totally ignore it but it was weird, like, ha- having the absence of that because I had to super unlearn all the habits I had formed mm. over the base game because I, I was like, oh, I actually have to, like, pay attention to, like, what the enemy's attacks are now because I would just rely on that Shulk future site so much of just, oh, okay, now it's doing the big move. Now I gotta, like, do, de- like, prepare and not die from this. Uh, mm. Yeah, and there's also two new characters. Uh, n- n- Nene and they have the weirdest oh names gosh, in this game. Is... I swear to God, Nene and I can't remember the second one's name. <laughs> it's not a dance. So it's a little Riki guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh they're, God. Well, they're like Riki's adopted kids, uh. basically. All right. He has like eleven kids, so it's he not he's not kids. like he's not like getting it on. He's just adopting them. I mean, it's he nice that he's adopting them, but they, like they, assumes... they explain it a little bit. There's like a story thing. They explain it a little bit, but uh, anyway, the. I don't like the Nobon characters. I've never Nobody liked them. Nobody likes I them. Hate, I hate I, they're so... Tetsuya Takahashi likes them. He he loves his little choo-choos and, and poofy things. We should they're... crucify them. <laughs> well, they they already Christ. have been. Oh, I just imagine they're... Tora up on a cross. Oh, this is Tora doesn't like this. They're just so annoying. And especially in this epilogue, like, they're so nothing characters. They're just yeah, kind of to, there. They've been trying to turn them into Moogles and, like, st- like really, like, compelling mascots for so many years, and it just, give it up. That just seems to be the the mindset with a lot of Japanese RPGs is, well, if you make a Japanese RPG, you gotta have a cute mascot. It's, you it's gotta have a cute one, yeah. And it has to be, like, a little funny and the comedic relief character, too. And they're just so annoying and it sucks because like ricky's like very useful in the main game yeah like, that's the oh, problem he's... they're they're so useful most of the time <sighs> they're just so terrible to be around i mean his kids are not useful in this epilogue spoiler so they're basically rain and <laughs> charla so like or they have the same arts they fight the same way both of them and charla is totally useless so it was very much like i guess i'm just not having a healer 
uh, with my party because it's just like <laughs> Shulk wow. and Melia, like all the worst AI. It was a huge bummer, uh, combat wise. But the big new change uh, that helps remedy the like annoyingly bad AI earlier on in the epilogue is there's this new like Nopon uh, reinforcement side quest thing. So all across the Bionis shoulder, you'll find these nopon like soldier people and you do like a little side quest for them um and then you recruit them and they join your party basically so you don't like directly you can't like play as them and you can't like directly they don't have like arts or anything but instead of the chain attack the party gauge when it's filled up you can do this big like all-out attack type thing uh i'm trying to think of like a comparison point I guess, like, Persona 5's all-out attacks. I feel like I just used that comparison earlier. <laughs> but if it works, it, it works. Yeah, like, this big, basically, like, a big attack where you do, like, a little bit of, um, like, quick time, like, three quick time things. Uh, kind of like when you play, like, Dunban and, like, his, like, main move or whatever is also, like, the quick time things. This is the same thing. Uh, and then you can do, like, a focused attack on one enemy, an area attack on a bunch of enemies, or you can do, like, a big healing attack that, like, heals all your people uh but like the more nopon you recruit and there's like a dozen across the whole continent uh the stronger the move is so toward the end of the epilogue when i had 10 of them it like every battle when i would get up that party age and do that attack it was like trivial like i would be doing insane damage and just taking out bosses so quick and it was really satisfying in that way just being like wow this is this is really silly how strong I am with all these nope on at my side. And they also follow you around the map too, which is really cute, but also mm-hmm. bad for frame rate, but you know, whatever. <laughs> the Xenoblade experience, bad for, f- yeah. really cute and fun, but bad for frame rate. I mean, honestly, the main game performs fine. And I played mostly on my Switch Lite, like the majority on my Switch Lite. Like I probably played 10 hours on TV because uh, I transferred and saved through the cloud save, which is also handy. Like it supports yeah. cloud safe, unlike some games by Nintendo. Oh, look at Katie. Two switches just swapping between them. <laughs> I, I mean, your switch I don't is my have a handheld so. like those scum. I have my separate Switch Lite just for handheld purposes. I mean, my Switch Lite is just my Switch. Like, that's the only Switch yeah. I have. And then my boyfriend has the main Switch. So I, that's my TV Switch. For yeah, I'm the same way with my husband. Have, we have the main Switch and we, I have my Switch Lite for my RPGs. Yeah, the Switch, the switch Lite's great. Like, uh, And honestly, like a, the downside about... Like the resolution for Xenoblade Definitive Edition is it doesn't look that much different on TV compared to portable, mm. which is like yeah. I was expecting like oh this, these muddy like environments this is gonna look way better on TV and then I whipped it out on TV and it doesn't look that much better on TV, <laughs> which is a bummer. But you know what? Whatever. Most of the cutscenes look fine because the character models look great. So there's only so much they could do ultimately because it is a Wii game. Yeah. So, short of a complete redo, which wasn't really in the cards, this was about the best you could hope for for a remastered update of Xenoblade Chronicles, I think. Yeah, and it, it looks like good. Like, some of the environments still look, like, really good. It's just the resolution in general is, like, a bit, a bit of a bummer. Like, it does look pretty blurry sometimes, and I wish that was a little sharper, but... It is just a Wii game, you know? Like, there's not not a crazy amount they could have done there. And they put so much care and detail into upping the, like, character models that you could tell that's really where their focus and resources were. 
And it paid off because all the characters look great. And compared to like how they looked on Wii and 3DS, like they mm. they actually mm. have features on their face, you know, like they have personality. <laughs> it wasn't like a, it didn't look like a wall corner with like scribbles yeah. on it. Yeah, like Melia used to look scary, like in she the did. Wii version. Like look at pictures. Her eyes were so far apart, and here she actually just looks like a person. You know? She looked like a frog. Yeah. <laughs> it's honestly wild. And Dunban had like, man, they all just look so bad. Like looking back at old screenshots, I was cracking up at just how awful <laughs> everyone looks. And But they look good now. So you know what? Good. No more, no more scaring the children. This is the power of the Monado. Looking like <laughs> real people. Uh, Katie, so I, I think the ultimate question is, is this truly the... Aside, this is obvious that it's this is the definitive edition, but does Xenoblade Chronicles hold up like as a game? Is it an RPG that you can recommend? I mean, I, I recommend it, but I also do feel like it does show its age. Like, I don't <laughs> like how big the environments are. Like, it does feel very MMO-y. I don't, I'm not like, I do like how dynamic and unique the battle system is in terms of like party structure. Like, I felt like I was really playing around with like who's in my roster and, you know, testing out different arts and like how they interact with each other like in that respect it was really fun but i don't like the auto attack system i don't like how stupid the ai can be like it felt really useless sometimes where it's like you have positional arts why aren't you attacking from the side like this is so stupid (laughs) so there's a yeah exactly so there's like a lot of instances like that that are frustrating and definitely show their age uh and yeah like the i would say like past there's like sections in the game that drag a bit so i feel like if it shaved like 20 hours it would be like a perfect rpg but there's definitely some fluff in there and some just like long sections that i wish were a little shorter um so like it it does have flaws but i mean that's to be expected for a game that's 10 years old but didn't come to like america till like 2012 i think yeah there's that too like it came two years after it was created like it was was originally a a, it was literally 10 years old yeah and also the (laughs) The Wii U launched in 2013, right? No, 2012, because I was there in the, in the very, very cold line. Yeah, so, like, yeah, this, like, launched literally at the end of the Wii's lifespan, too, in America, which is interesting to think about. Um, yeah, it, it's just a... It's... I don't know. I think the story holds up. Some of the party members I wasn't, like, crazy fond of. Like, I don't... I don't like Charlotte that much. I don't think her, like character beats are particularly earned they just kind of I, and like yeah. <laughs> a lot of the characters just kind of feel like they're there like Riki like what was he there for <laughs> like there to like pay off debt or something I don't really know yeah he had to he had to feed his kids yeah uh, fun fact about me and Xenoblade Chronicles the first time I played it I, I I basically loaded up after I came home from the hospital because I was at work grooming and a cat bit me and the cat's name was Candy and I was giving it a bath I didn't like having a bath so <laughs> It just grabbed onto my to my arm and just like, uh, can someone get a towel, please? I have a cat hanging off me. And the thing with cat bites is they can be very, very, very dangerous. My mother was hospitalized for one, so here I am, paranoid about dying. And so I went to the hospital and they were like, yeah, um, we, you need like antibiotics right now. So they gave oh me antibiotics God. and they gave me painkillers. And I was, like basically came home and played Xenoblade Chronicles stoned as hell and it was pretty great. <laughs> Maybe the optimal way to play it. Pretty much. Uh, when you just kind of bliss out and you hear that title screen music, I mean, that is the way to experience it. 
Oh yeah, I didn't mention this, but the reorchestrations of the music are phenomenal. Like so, That's so good. good. Like the real, and you can al- always also play the old music too, just from the menu, which is great. So you can just switch to the old music if you prefer that. But all the new music is really, really good. Like real, like the soundtrack is maybe one of the best things about it. Honestly, like it has a yeah, pretty, definitely. pretty incredible soundtrack. Uh, and it like it's so much so that when I was doing that late game grinding, where I was like, ah, I should probably buff up like ten levels. I, I didn't even turn on a podcast. I just listened to the music, which is... What? That never, I never do <laughs> that. Minus I never do I listen to podcasts when I, like, grind in stupid Call of Duty. Like, I listen to podcasts pretty much whenever I'm grinding, except for in Xenoblade, which says a lot, you know? All right, on that note, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition is out right now. You can go read our review on the site. We also have an interview in the works with the developers over at Monolith Soft, so hopefully that will be coming in relatively soon as well. We can run it over on the site. I'm looking forward to it. Katie, thanks for coming on the show. We'll have you back again real soon. Until then, let's move on to the track of the week. Okay, it is time for track of the week, the segment in which we pick a classic RPG track and talk about it and talk about its impact on the game, because as we all know, RPGs uh, rely heavily on their music for their mood and for their emotional appeal. This week we got a track from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. See if you recognize this song. Yes, that's right. That is Shadows of the Lowlands, the uh, I believe the Mitsuda track from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Nadia, I'm not surprised at all that you picked this track because you've been playing a lot of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I see you <laughs> pop up on my friend list whenever I'm playing Animal Crossing, which is often. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 in preparation for Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. And... Like Katie was just discussing, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles has amazing music, and that carries over into 2, even though it's a, it's a different composer, of course. It's Mitsuda for 2. And he composed Shadows of the Lowlands, and for that he got a choir. He got a professional choir. He got, uh, God help me, I'm going to mispronounce this because it's Irish, and Irish is weird. Uh, Anuna, I believe it is. I mean, God, my middle name is Irish, and I couldn't pronounce it until I was 12, so I apologize to everyone. Uh, but basically, this is the choir that is responsible for Riverdance in the 90s. So they're not amateur hour. They're very professional. And as you can hear from the the theme itself, it's, it's very next level. Of course, choirs are a dime a dozen in JRPG music, as we know. But there's a very, very mournful, clear sound to Shadows of the Lowlands, which, by the way, has two versions. This is the quote-unquote daytime version. When this plays, when you enter uh, the town of Theoswar, I believe it's called, and this is on a titan that is shaped like a turtle, shaped like Genbu, 
and it doesn't fly above the, the clouds, so it kind of flies in it. It's a dying titan, it's running out of energy, so it's a very cold, stark, dark place, as it's very much reflected in the song, which, if you listen to the lyrics, are, is literally about misery and cold and, and hunger, uh, but it ends with like uh, a hopeful message about standing up against the dark, etc., etc., good luck with that. So, yeah, this is, I believe the, the name of the, the Titan, the land that you visit upon this Titan is called Tental or something of that nature. And it's uh, one of my favorite snow areas in an RPG. And that's because it's not just, it's not a nice, peaceful, snowy area. It's a very brutal, snowy area. And there's actually a moment in this game where if you are visiting this vast, snowy landscape and a fog rolls in, you could be in a lot of trouble because when the fog rolls in, it literally summons these elder gods that you can fight. And if you are nearby when this fog rolls in and the, the monsters are appear next to you, uh, you're dead. <laughs> and that happened to me once. And that, that terrified the crap out of me. But yes, that is, I think it's one of the, the coolest RPG locales in, in like any RPG at all. And the songs there really, really help. And Nuna has actually done a few choir-based uh, songs in Xenoblade Chronicles too, so so do look them up because they're all really excellent. I remember a lot of Riverdance commercials in the '90s. It was it a was popular... a, it's a very '90s thing. It was it was popular to make fun of in '90s sitcoms. <laughs> it really was. Everyone made fun of Riverdance. I don't know if anyone actually saw it. Like, I, I kind of wanted to. It looked kind of fun. I never saw Riverdance, but I always found the music very catchy when I saw it in the commercials. Yeah, yeah. At some point, my my Irish grandmother decided I was going to learn how to do Irish dance, and I got out of that somehow. <laughs> I am also part Irish, but I never had to learn Irish dance, thankfully. We should both learn it. No, I the the <laughs> the main ways that my uh my heritage came out was mostly through food, and that was mostly the German Norwegian sides of me. Yeah, when it comes to to Irish food, um, I'm sure my my the listeners will shout me down, but there really wasn't much. My mom used to make champ, which is a kind of a mashed potato, because of course it is. But otherwise, like we literally had a, a a project in school where they were like, "Oh, bring bring some food from your heritage." And I went to school with a lot of like Ashkenazi Jews, so I'm like, I'm not bringing the same cookies that everyone else is bringing. I want to bring something from my Irish heritage. And I went to my mom and I said, "What can I bring?" And she's like, "Uh, beer." Like, <laughs> like no, I'm not bringing beer. So I, I brought the damn cookies. You should bring the Canadian maple cookies, which are delicious. So that's I part cannot, of your heritage. It really, it is. You're absolutely right. And I cannot believe how hard it is for Americans apparently to get maple stuff. Like when it's March here, you cannot escape maple. They will, they, they will, they will drown you in maple if they can. I mean, you literally have a maple leaf on your flag, so it's part of there your heritage. You go. It really is. It's a very tasty part of our heritage, but only in moderation. Shadows of the Lowlands, quite a beautiful tune when I was listening to it. Great work music, I I must say. Yeah, I was actually writing to it when I was putting together like the notes for this episode. So, it was a very soothing, dark track. And uh, Mitsuda actually said when he heard the the performance, he, he teared up. Wow, I, I believe it. It's kind of a moving track. Uh, it is. Of, it's powerful. Out of curiosity, which, one, which soundtrack do you prefer? Xenoblade Chronicles 1 or 2? I think two. Um, one, of course, is really, really excellent. It has some amazing tunes, like we highlighted Colony 9 the other day, and there's also, I love the Galar Plains theme. But I feel like two just has one amazing track after another. It's one of my favorite soundtracks, period. 
I like this note that you left in the track of the week notes. I admit I'm in an Irish mood because a relative on Facebook found some pics of my family overseas, 80s hair galore. <laughs> yeah, someone uh, someone in my family found like pictures of like my grandmother, my great-grandmother, and apparently my brother when he was visiting. I never got to visit Ireland. I would, like, I would love to go. I would love to go to Ireland too. I've been to a good chunk of the British Isles, which I don't know if Ireland technically counts as the British Isles. It's in that general vicinity, at least. But, I think Northern Ireland might be. Well, I mean, it's, might, that's might part of the UK. Yeah, but yeah. I'm talking about the actual Isles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I feel like just drawn to there, and I've never had a chance to go. Scotland is gorgeous. I like Scotland. I'd love to see Scotland. Yeah, and it really does kind of invoke that Irish feeling, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, the latest entry in our track of the week. And, of course, if you have an idea for the track of the week, send them in. We haven't taken any user requests lately because we've been mostly doing themed uh, tracks. But that may change next week because next week uh, we'll be talking a lot about next-gen RPGs. And that might be an opportunity to bring out one request that I saw in DMs just recently. So please look forward to that. In the meantime, it's letter time, Nadia. Ooh, it's letter time. It's letter time. Last week, we talked about the Game Boy Advance for the console RPG quest, and we determined that the Game Boy Advance was actually quite a remarkable little RPG machine. And of course, all of you had plenty of thoughts yourselves. I got lots of nice emails and notes about this one. Let's go through some of them. Rider Kicker says, the talk about Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire just made me remember the hellish amount of time I spent on that game. So many things about that game were so obtuse. The diving and surfing was annoying and the fishing. Wow, did I hate that they mm. changed it to something oh, where yeah. you had to pay attention. <laughs> that was a huge that was a huge hit. I forgot about that. Don't get me started on the Phoebus. I spent like so many hours looking for that square where it hid just to capture a Magikarp ripoff. But on the other hand, uh, it evolves into melodic and melodic rules. I'm trying to remember which one's... Is Melodic the, the kind of serpentine? It's the big uh, water serpent. Yeah, that is that is pretty cool. I'm trying to evolve one of those in Pokemon Go, but you have to walk a bunch of miles with it, and it's like, what the hell? Yes. He asked me to walk. With a Phoebus. The shame. Phoebus. I, I, when you said Phoebus, I'm like, what the hell is a Phoebus? Like, oh, Phoebus. Oh, okay. Phoebus? I think that's what it was. I thought it was pronounced that, that's what Phoebus. I say. You might be right. I might be wrong. But uh, either well, way, knows. yes. I mean, for years, <laughs> I called Gyarados Gyarados. I mean... So did I. I, I've, I still call it Gyarados, and everyone says, what's wrong with you? So I will, before moving on from Ruby and Sapphire, I'll just say that I love the contests in Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, and I think that they, along with the Battle Frontier and the Pokemon World Tournament, should be in every Pokemon. Yes, I did love the contests. I remember, wasn't there one where you had to make your Pokemon dance, and it was really silly, but it was kind of fun? That was the Broadway one. I think that might have been. It was either Pokemon Black and White or Pokemon uh, Diamond and Pearl. One of the two. Give me give me Pokemon Phantom of the Opera. I'm ready for this. Kavo uh, the Raven says, I mostly remember the GBA for keeping me entertained during many long car rides and family parties. Fire Emblem in particular got a lot of mileage to the point that my cartridge could not save my game anymore because I drained the internal Ooh. battery. One RPG that I have fond memories of but has not been mentioned on the podcast is Metabots. For a game that mostly tried cash in on a popular anime, it had a surprisingly competent turn-based battle system and a lot of fun customizing the different individual parts and abilities of my party of metabots to make them fight in row battles. I remember that anime. I used to watch it a little bit. Uh, what was it about? 
Metabots? It was about, like, a kid had a metabot, and they battled the metabots. And the, the thing that I remember most from that anime that was really funny was every time you had two kids who got up in each other's business, you're like, yeah, let's let's fight our metabots. Someone named Mr. Referee would just pop out of nowhere, like Hammer Space, and, and like, just scare the shit out of everyone, but he'd, he'd be the referee. And no matter where, no matter what this, no matter where this battle is taking place, there, there he was. Anarcho Gamer says, the recent GameCube and GBA episodes were some fun nostalgia throwbacks for me. I was in high school at the time, and it's really where I started to get into RPGs, especially with the GBA. I've heard a lot of uh, people saying this. I had played Pokemon Blue when I was younger, but the Final Fantasy releases really got me into JRPGs. FF4 blew my high school mind with its story mm-hmm. and how characters developed and sacrificed themselves. Uh, nice. Everybody's sacrificing themselves every five seconds in that freaking game. <laughs> I love that game, and it's it's sacrifices, and it's well, here like, comes another redemption. heroic sacrifice. <laughs> here comes another heroic sacrifice. Burr, 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 burr. I love the job system of five, which made playing Tactics Advance a richer experience for me. Six blew me away again with the story and character development. I know these games were ports, but for me, they remind me of staying up all night, grinding away levels, and being tired at school. Besides uh-huh. the Square games, the GBA got me into Metroid, Mario, Luigi, and the Advance Wars series. I recall one particular fever dream as a result of strep throat where my bed was an advanced wars battle and I was the commanding officer. The battle did not go well, but antibiotics eventually got rid of my strep throat. <laughs> That's why I had my tonsils out because I kept getting strep throat. This is the antibiotics episode of Axe of the Blood God. We, yeah, this is a lot of informative uh, information about antibiotics today. Uh, they're handy. <laughs> and I'm sure they were dispensed by metabots. No, oh, that was, don't don't take anything a metabot dispenses for you before you consult an adult. Game that tune says one title y'all didn't talk about was Riviera. I played the hell out of that game when I was a security guard for a gated community. It had a cool art style, fun music, and the battle system was very different than other games I played at the time. When I think GBA, it's one of the first games I think about. Yes, uh, Sting RPGs were kind of a thing on GBA, but I mostly identify Sting RPGs with the PSP because a bunch of them got ported over there. But I agree. I do that not remember Riviera at, at all. It's a very beautiful battle system, or it has very beautiful mm-hmm. graphics. That's the most that I remember about it, for the most part. Uh, Stadley Sting RPGs are mostly lost to history these days. Maybe we'll talk about it a bit more when we get to the PSP episode. Eh? Yeah. Um, when you say Sting RPGs, I'm like, what does that even mean? Uh, well, Sting was a company. And oh, okay. They made games like uh, Riviera and mm-hmm. Yggdra Union. And this very strange tactics RPG that was also a bullet hell game. Wow, sweet. Yeah, it was pretty cool, actually. It came out on both the PSP and I want to say the DS, but I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. So, Nadia, you may recall that me saying that I got really hooked on Game Center CX for a little bit, watching it on Twitch. (laughs) And one of my favorite episodes was the Sheer and the Wanderer episode, and Alin got me into my DMs and said, Sheeran, mention alert. And sent me a very long DM. I think I got that too. It's very nice. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, they say that Sheeran games are indeed quite beautiful. And also say the series lineage is a bit of a trip. The first is a numbered sequel, Mystery Dungeon 2, to the DQ Universe side story game Torneco, which was fan translated and shortly after received a later DS port that localized around the time of the Wii game that came over too. There are sequels on Game Boy and Game Boy Color, a recently fans translated N64 game, Shirin 2, which was wonderfully made, critically adored, one of the best looking games on that platform as well. Yes, I think we talked about that in our N64 console. Yes, quest. I think we did. But maybe we didn't talk about it as much as we should have. Yes, it sounds like that. We apologize. 
By some miracle, the game's extremely period website is still live and shows us some of the adorable <laughs> pre-rendered characters, including a sassy River Kappa and a spirit-possessed chest of drawers that follows you into the dungeons to expand your inventory. <laughs> That's cute. Sounds like your kind of game, Nadia. It really does. I have to, like, get into this. As you mentioned, Sheeran 3, the least technically roguelike and series odd child out, was localized on Wii and was fan-translated on PSP. 4 and 5 were released on DS, so never localized. Though there is a localized Vita port of 5, fingers crossed, for good news in June for the Switch. Man, I gotta hand it to fan translators. You guys work your ass off. And it's always been that way ever since, like, I first really got on the internet and realized, holy crap, somebody translated Bahamut Lagoon, somebody translated Seekin Tensetsu 3. I can play these games finally. And I just really admire the fact that they just did that without any compensation. They reworked entire menus to make it work. Yeah, so if you are part of the fan translation community, good for you. Keep yes, thank you to fan translators for Super Robot Wars Alpha Gaiden in, in English. <laughs> there you go. And finally, Michael Thornton has more of a casual question. Uh, they ask, you always speak of listening to podcasts while playing RPGs. I only have a few gaming RP- uh, podcasts that I subscribe to. And I was wondering if you could fill me in on some of your favorite podcasts. Well, here's a funny thing. I don't really listen to gaming podcasts. <laughs> I don't listen to podcasts at all. Why? Um, I just do not like having someone talk in my ear when I can't see them. I hate the telephone. I, I hate podcasts. I, I don't like audiobooks whatsoever. They drive me up the wall. So it just makes me feel paranoid. The irony. Yeah, isn't it though? Like I, once in a while, I kind of listen to our podcasts so I can say, okay, this is how I can improve the way I deliver information. This is how I can improve the way I can I can talk, but I just don't download podcasts and listen to them. When I when I'm really tired of game music, I will just switch to my regular music. And I finally got a Spotify subscription, so I'm I'm not old anymore, and I'm not just listening to pre-recorded music on my phone like some boomer. Even though I grew up with, with vinyl records and, and tapes, and I still think digital music of any kind is a miracle, I finally gave in, and I'm now streaming music. I hope everyone's very happy with themselves. <laughs> Back in the day, I used to listen to one-ups RPGs, or one-ups podcasts, sorry, especially liked uh, one-up yours and Retronauts. And I don't listen to Retronauts anymore. Apologies to Jeremy Parrish, who puts out an amazing product. I think part of the problem, part of the reason I don't go on game podcasts is because I'm so steeped in games 24-7 all the time. Yeah, yeah, I totally, totally feel that. That it just feels a little weird to hear my peer, to sit down and listen to my peers talking about a thing that I know a lot about, so. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Sometimes uh, podcasts, just videos and stuff like that, I, I just don't really want to listen to it anymore. I will say that I do pay attention to Jeremy Parrish's, like, uh, NES works, Game Boy works. Mm. Those videos are very, very good, and I, I totally recommend them. They're very bite-sized bits of information, so you're not listening to a whole hour-long podcast about a game. Yeah, I love his NES <laughs> works stuff. I there is really excellent. I just uh, pulled one actually for my gra- my little mini Gradius retrospective, where uh, he did one for the NES works, and I actually learned a lot watching it. Yeah, and they're very informative. Jeremy is very particular about the way that he captures things. He finds these incredible capture kits online and yeah, captures he is directly next from level. It. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, emulate he... anything, so everything no. looks incredible. Uh, I, that said, you know I have a huge amount of respect for my peers in the video game podcasting space. They do a great job. Um, 
some there are some great podcasts out there like the beast cast waypoint uh, idle thumbs that kind of thing but if there's one thing that bugs me about game podcasts it's that it's a little bit too much of four dudes sit around a microphone talking about the latest game news and yeah, i wish yeah. that video game podcasts got a little more ambitious in their form uh i would love more storytelling podcasts i would love more conversational interview driven podcasts uh i would love more episode by episode style podcasts but in so get on that you podcast creators <laughs> and also i mean over at us gamer we're working on some podcast concepts that will hopefully break out a little bit from the kind of stereotypical video game podcast so please look forward to that as well yeah i'm really hoping that uh if, if nothing else I, what i'd really love to do is just talk to mike he and i about like as i finish expansions in final fantasy 14 and just talk about the the story and mechanics and all of that i think that would be a lot of fun as for podcasts that I enjoy listening to outside of video games, I really enjoy sports podcasts, as you may <laughs> have imagined. I listen to the Total yeah. Soccer Show. Um, I've listened to Bill Simmons for 15 years at this point. Wow. I don't like Bill Simmons himself, but I do like his guests a lot. Uh, when he gets like That's Chuck fair. Klosterman or somebody on there, they usually have actually shockingly interesting conversations. Um, my partner and I will listen to this podcast called The Dollop UK, which is a really great storytelling podcast. So the way it works, Nadia, is one person tells a story from some point in history in the UK, and mm -hmm. the other is has no idea what's, what's going to happen, so they're riffing on it, and they're reacting alongside the listener. And they're really great. I strongly recommend the Cyril the Swan episode. It's, <laughs> it is the most insane and hilarious thing even if you don't like soccer it's just so freaking bonkers this hooligan mascot that it's totally worth listening to um i love the anthropocene reviewed by john green it's like 25 minutes and it they're beautifully written and that is a really great example of using audio as a, a unique format to be able to tell a story and also inform people about things and uh, finally, I love Hardcore History with Dan Carlin, which I've listened I've listened to those episodes a billion times. Uh, his his voice is a bit of an acquired taste, but uh, his <laughs> uh, his his World War One one is just magnificent. Like you will learn so much about that. Six uh, six podcasts and six episodes in total, like three hours each one. Wow! But holy cow! Like just listening to them is so meditative especially when grinding through rpgs so there you go instead of listening to to beautiful music you listen to a history lesson and of course i, I guess i would be remiss if i didn't mention our friends bob mackie and henry gilbert who uh run the talking simpsons podcast network i am actually a patreon supporter of them i'm at the ten dollar level i've been on their show a whole bunch of times uh i love to talk love about to various things show. Yeah, you sh you should you should talk to them. I bet they would love to have you. Um, I, I think I'd be a good guest for, as long as I do like the priest. I I'm kind of the one of those elitists who think The Simpsons just wasn't isn't worth watching past season ten. So if they keep before that, I'll, I can basically quote entire episodes. I'm ridiculous. Well, I got bad news. They just got to season eleven. <laughs> oh well, I'm out. <laughs> I just I have a Gundam Wing episode in the can with them, and oh cool. Yeah, and they just did a really amazing deep dive into toy story 2 they're ah yeah they're they're movie deep dives that you can access at the ten dollar level they're like 
I seriously, they're like five hours long, but they are so deep and interesting. Like I had no idea, and I'm sorry that I'm spoiling this. I had no idea that when they tell the famous story about how Toy Story 2 was lost, uh, almost deleted, but miraculously saved because somebody was working from home. That was the movie that was canceled. That was the Toy Story 2 direct-to-video version that was going to be coming oh. out. But was ultimately canceled. So they saved it. They worked. They crunched, like, ridiculously hard to make it happen. And then they canceled it anyway and started over. Oh, man. That is such a great movie, though. I love Toy Story 2. Yeah, so if you want that kind of insight, strongly recommend Talking Simpsons. Yeah, so... The, this has been cats. Uh, this this has been the podcast that cats listens to. Our <laughs> cats recommendations. No, they're they're good recommendations. Um, someday I'll get I'll get into listening to podcasts. I'll get I'll get over my psychosis or whatever I have going on. It took me years to get my partner into podcasts. Like she just would not listen to them. We'd be sitting in a car, and I'd be like, oh, let's put on a podcast. She's like, I don't want to listen to a podcast. I don't want to listen to somebody talking. But now, but now, like, she is actually into them, especially the Anthropocene Reviewed and Dear Hank and John and Dollop UK. So I can be like, let's put on a Dollop UK, and, it's, and we can both enjoy it. Ah, uh, shared interests. Yes, shared interests are great. Okay, on that note, Axe of Bloodgod is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And if you enjoyed Katie, she's on Twitter at YumeKatie, Y-U-M-E-C-A-T-Y. We'll be back next week with more great RPG coverage. You should check out a live show. It's going to be on June 5th. I think at 11 a.m. Pacific, I need to put the exact time on the website. Keep an eye out for that and on my Twitter account. Good reason to follow me, actually. Yes, we're going to have all the details right there. And you can see our beautiful faces on Zoom, I guess. (laughs) You can see my uncut hair, which is quickly becoming a war crime. I mean, my hair is the longest it's been since I moved to San Francisco, since I lived in Japan, even, where my my hair is almost down to my waist at this point. Oh, wow. That's that's really long. I used to have hair down to my waist when I was very young, but ah, screw that. (laughs) I just randomly decided to grow up my hair um, like a lot further than I usually have it earlier. And then I was getting right to the point of cutting it. And then the pandemic happened. Hilarious. Oh, there you go. You have very nice hair. My hair is very thin on top. Very, Uh, very thin. My hair is very thick and wavy and hard to manage. So mm. I decided to make it even harder to manage by growing it out. <laughs> well, see, that makes sense. God, having long hair was a nightmare when I was a kid. I was so glad when I cut it off. It must have been a long week. We're really squirrely sitting here talking about the length of our hair and antibiotics and podcast listening. So. <laughs> this, is, this is the hair and antibiotics episode. Tell your friends. All right, let's wrap this up. Thanks, everybody, to listening. We'll be back next week. But until then, happy adventuring.